0: Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our bi-weekly podcast where we nerd out about our favorite TV shows.
1: Currently, we're covering every single episode of Good Omens, based on the book by Sir Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And because we are who we are, we focus on details you didn't need, but for sure deserved.
0: I'm Vero and I'm Lina and today we're talking about episode 5, the Doomsday Option.
1: Did you notice that this is our very first title drop episode name?
0: I noticed it was dropped. I didn't realize that was the first time that we actually hear it.
1: I don't think any other were. Not that I remember. Like one was the Saturday morning fun times, which was just a reference. It was written out on the screen. Oh, I didn't see that. (laughs)
0: So it doesn't count.
1: Exactly. Also, that discussion is something we had with Lucifer, with the box thingy, I think, where it's being said and written and like, how does it count if you see it first and everything. So, but yeah, this is the first specific title drop by Shedwell. Is he still Shidwell in this episode?
0: Uh, he's getting better, but that doesn't make him good. It still makes him
1: shit, apparently.
0: No. Well, as long as you refer to him as shit. Okay, fine, I'm gonna call him Shadwell this time, whatever.
1: Before we do anything else, it is time to summarize the episode. Time is ticking down as everything converges in Tadfield, where the iron bird flies no more. But at least our ineffable husbands are kinda
0: reunited and them help Adam get over
1: being a dick
0: i honestly i have to say this is my favorite episode so far for many many reasons
1: really it's my least favorite
0: my biggest reason why i love this episode so much is crowley there's not enough crowley for me the amount that we get is everything is gold so
1: he's very much in love
0: we'll get to that we'll get to that all right So now we know what this episode is going to be about. So let's talk about the British word of the episode. And this has sent me for a spin. I'm not gonna lie, because I have chosen multiple words and I tried to research them. And either it was an Americanism, which was shocking to me, or there was literally nothing on the internet that I could find. But I did find an option and I ended up going... With widdle. Widdle. Widdle.
1: Very nice. That's not my word. So please teach me.
0: So what I thought it meant. Wiggle. Because it just sounds so similar. Which wiggle is moving around a little bit. I don't know how to describe it. Wiggle around.
1: Do so you know what I thought? Widdle. Because I don't remember the context. Widdle is the cutesy version to say little.
0: Oh yeah. That is also one of the explanations of meanings that exist. Oh. Congratulations. You speak baby talk. However, it is used in a different context in the episode. It is said by the woman in the car to the guy that is leaving the car on M25 in that scene. And widdle means urinate.
1: Yes. With the context of the scene, it makes sense.
0: So it is the British slang for urinate. It came originally from piddle and that does have some sort of etymology, but... It was transferred from piddle to whittle in the 1920s. Reasoning behind that, I do not know. However, piddle is a much older word. It first showed up in the 1540s and it meant to spend time with unimportant matters, to work in a trifling way. A word of not sure origins apparently was quite frequent in the speech. It also could mean to pick at one's food, which this meaning was happening around 1610s. And then later on, in 1796, it started to get used as a childish word to urinate. So piddle, widdle, it is still a baby talk. Yay!
1: Also, funnily enough, 1920s is the same time my word changed meaning.
0: Ooh, tell me more. Any
1: guess as to what my word might be, since it's changed meaning? No. My British word of the episode is pansy. Oh my god. So... What did I think it meant? I thought it meant just an effeminate man, because I did not realize that it's actually a fucking flower. Oh! I did not know that a pansy is a type of violet and a very popular garden flower. Uh,
0: Now, did you say that actually rings a bell, but, oh God, English names of flowers. Exactly. Why would
1: I know those? So, the flower name, pansy, comes from mid-15th century, from Pons, Old French, literally thought remembrance from past particle of ponse to think from latin pensare to consider and then different versions of the word to the frequentative of pendere to hang cause to hang way pay so basically the face of the flower looks like a hanging down head mm-hmm. that is remembering sad things so it's so called because it was regarded as a symbol of thought or remembrance The meaning, effeminate homosexual man, is recorded in 1929. A weak or effeminate man or boy, used as a term of abuse or disparagement, a gay man, used as a term of abuse or disparagement. How did a flower turn into an insult? So I found one source for this, nothing else. In the early 1900s, Pansy, along with Buttercup, Daisy, and even Horticultural lad were used as terms for a gay man or any man exhibiting characteristics the name-caller considered unmanly. Pansy was the flower that would remain associated with the gay community, however largely due to the underground drag balls that experienced a surge of popularity in LA, New York and other major cities in the US in the 1920s to 1930s. Drag performers were actually called Pansy performers because of their colorful clothing and the Pansy craze of the era helped to kickstart a legacy of gay nightlife even though the end of Prohibition led to many drag balls and performances being shut down. So Pansy stuck around because... The word got used for other things as well within the culture, so pansy craze and everything, hence pansy sticking around. Today, queer activists are working to turn the derogatory meaning of pansy around. Among them is artist-activist Paul Harfleet, the founder of The Pansy Project. Harfleet and his collaborators have spent years planting single pansies at the site of transphobic or homophobic abuse as a way to symbolize hope against discrimination. Harfleet said of pansies, not only does the word refer to an effeminate or gay man, the name of the flower originates from the French word penser to think, as the bowing head of the flower was seen to visually echo a person in deep thought, and so they use the pansy to mark places that you should remember. Mm. Abuse against queer people,
0: and I really like that. That is very nice. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't like that we have places where we need to remember that, but it's nice that we have something
0: to yeah. do that. Yeah, and this is very nice way of doing that through flowers. It is time for the facts and
1: fun. Once again, I put several of those into the episode, but I kept a few of them in here. Crowley puts a Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart CD in his car's player, which starts out playing classical music and then switches over to Queen's I'm In Love With My Car, which not a song of Queen that I was actively familiar with. Like, once it starts playing, of course, you know what it is. But if you had asked me, is this a song by Queen? I would not have known. Some of the scenes of Crowley driving the flaming Bentley were made possible by the car being really on fire and David Tennant really driving it. I have not found any other information on this claim on IMDb.
0: That means, let's put it on the list of questions for either Neil or David.
1: Or anyone, literally. Like, this is something everyone should know that was involved with this.
0: Tell us.
1: In heaven, when Aziraphale is getting his uniform, the world is finally rotating in the proper direction. I did not notice that, I'm not gonna lie. The police in the car say they'll wait for the boffins. According to the Merriam-Webster site, British speakers also use boffin colloquially to refer to academics or intellectuals in general, often in a manner that is synonymous with nerd or egghead. So I was kinda expecting either of us to use boffin as the British word, but neither of us did. Yay! When Crowley asked the Tadfield neighbor for directions for the airfield, the narrator refers to the man as Pete Tyler. Pete Tyler is the name of the father of Rose Tyler, the companion to David Tennant's Doctor on Doctor Who. I did not even catch that.
0: I didn't catch the name. I actually was actually watching that scene, was thinking to myself, oh, do they ever mention the name of this character? Because he's literally there all the time. But I obviously know who Pete Tyler is. That was my first thought is, oh, Doctor Who? Yeah, it is when
1: what Pete Tyler actually wanted to say was... La, 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 la.
0: Oh! Okay, I completely blew past that. I completely did not realize either.
1: Just before the four horsemen take over Tedfield Air Base, one of the Air Force men is desperately looking for a screwdriver. This may be another Doctor Who reference, in this case of the sonic screwdriver. I don't know. IMDB claims so. I let it in.
0: Feels a little far-fetched if you ask me.
1: Though given the amount of references, also why not?
0: I mean, yes, but also I feel like they would make it clearer.
1: Why have you look for a screwdriver at all, I do wonder.
0: I don't know. Yeah, good point. And lastly, crazy credits with
1: special thanks to Google Earth under South African Crew. I did not watch the credits, so I just believe IMDb.
0: I listened to the music on the credits as I was frantically typing my final thoughts, but unfortunately I didn't read them either. So that concludes the facts and funds that I have decided to keep outside of the episode. Lovely. So it is now time. For the first time in person, previously on Good Omens. The apocalypse is still happening. Adam is coming to power and becoming a dick. The ineffable husbands broke up and broke our hearts. Aziraphale ascends to heavens and Crowley gets attacked by Huster, but gets away. Newt and Anathema have sex, because Agnes saw it. And all the predictions lead to hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Accurate. And I'm, I'm still unhappy about several things, but... I mean... That's not really surprising. Speaking of being unhappy, the song that is playing Why Crowley is Trying to Reach Zirafel
0: <laughs>
1: is just breaking my fucking heart.
0: Well, first of all, I understand why it makes you unhappy, but it is indeed one of my favorite Queen songs, so... Oh.
1: <laughs> Same, but...
0: It is indeed You're My Best Friend by Queen. And I actually think it's a great... Strong start and we're watching Crowley. First thing he does after he gets away from Huster is goes to try to find his best friend. His angel. His angel. And I actually have a random query for you because I have noticed when he walks into the burning bookshop, we hear the song playing inside on a gramophone.
1: Yeah, that was weird.
0: Is it a car? Or is it Crowley who changes the music? Because now, in my head canon, Crowley just doesn't think anything about Queen is good music. So he automatically alters the reality that all the music is Queen. So,
1: yes, but no, it's not that he thinks all of our music is bad, but because. He imagines that every CD left in a car turns into Queen. This is why it happens. Because, like later on, God explains, he has the one thing other demons don't an imagination. So I could agree on he is the reason why CDs turn into Queen in a car. And so he might be the reason why the song basically follows him. But technically, it does not make any sense that a gramophone is playing the Queen song.
0: I just feel like he is imagining that this song is playing everywhere he goes because he's looking for his best friend.
1: I can live with that. There's just no factual evidence, but I can live with that.
0: (sighs) But this entire scene, watching David Tennant play Crowley is such a joy for me. And you can see in his eyes, you can see in his face, in his demeanor, every single thing that he does and says in this entire scene until he goes back into the car It's heart-wrenching and beautiful and I just fucking love it so much.
1: The entire scene is incredibly painful. I feel so bad for him. And I was surprised that the fireman with the water, that it actually affects him. I would have expected him to not be that affected because he's a fucking like millennial old demon. But he just gets thrown over by the water pressure like nothing.
0: The water pressure is huge to be fair. It's like being... Kicked by, and this is a complete random thing, I'm gonna say, being kicked by 3,000 elephants. It's not that much, obviously, but it's a big, big power that is affecting him. And he didn't expect it, so I understand why that happened. It's
1: also curious that like nobody actively really tried to stop him going in.
0: Yeah, but you can notice that humankind, especially in this episode, is not very assertive.
1: Yeah, we're gonna talk about that later. The scene transitions over into Adam speaking. And Adam's voice, in my opinion, is even more creepy when he speaks this matter-of-factly. So I'm very much on, you go away, Adam, I hate you.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, fucking like I'm there right
1: with you. But then we instantly go into the intro. It's the earliest I think we have gotten into it at this point. It's not even two minutes in. Oh, uh, you and your timestamps? Yes, I have them. So after the intro, we are still in London. But the Queen song has changed and it got worse because now the lyric that we hear is Find me somebody to love and I am so, so sad.
0: My heart was aching at this point and he's just so perfect and he's so angry at the world and everybody and then he does this whole thing where he takes off the sunglasses that are broken from the fire and he goes... I shouldn't litter but nobody is keeping score anymore anyway and he just throws it on the ground and I'm like oh so we will get to see his eyes all the time now that's so exciting and then the first thing he does when he sits in the car is opens the department and takes out another pair and there's like a zillion of them in there and I was just like can I get one of those please
1: it's very crawly to me that he has so many of those
0: like it makes sense He's been wearing them for centuries.
1: Also, did you notice the parallel, basically? So him going like, oh, I shouldn't litter. Well, I should because I'm a demon, but I kind of shouldn't because nobody's keeping score anymore. So him being more good than he's supposed to be. And Zerofell on the other hand, having run out of fucks and being more like a demon. Mm -hmm. So the two of them are closing in on the, the healthy middle ground, basically.
0: Exactly. They're becoming more human, in theory. You can also notice that Crowley's posture changes so much when he sits into the car. And again, big shout out to David Tennant because the emotion that's leaking out of Crowley right now, it's making making everything so much better. I'm sorry, my
1: mind is 12, so I... Went somewhere where I was not supposed to go when the emotion is leaking out of him.
0: Hey, it's not like I said influence or anything like that.
1: No, because I don't need a supernatural reference. I'm 12, that's totally fine. We stay in London, but we go over to Shidwell. Shadwell, now you influence me. Speaking of influence. (laughs) We go to Shadwell going back to his place or Madame Tracy's place and I was so confused why he does not ring the doorbell with his hand. It made no sense to me and then of course he instantly starts talking like do you know what this hand did? I was like oh dude.
0: Yeah this is why he is still Shadwell at this point. I mean I understand that If you do something like that and you're just a human, but you do believe in witches, therefore you believe in supernatural powers and you just witnessed something like that and you are truly convinced that this is your doing. I get where it's coming from, but... It's still ridiculous. Yes.
1: Also, I know we've said this before, especially I have said this way too many times, Madam Tracy is so nice. She is one of maybe the best human we have on this. And I love her and she's way too nice to him.
0: She is excellent and she is only gonna get better. Also, huge props to the actress as well.
1: Oh yeah, my love for Madame Tracy is not just Madame Tracy, but also the actor behind it. But still, it's like compared to all the failures of humans that we have and they all fail on different levels. She's literally the only one who doesn't.
0: I know, isn't this most beautiful thing ever? And she brings him into her apartment and the apartment is the mirror image of his apartment. Yes. On more than one level, (laughs) which I find absolutely incredible because it's not only because it looks and it is set up mirror ways, but also the decoration and the design and everything else that's inside is like The flipped opposite of Shadwell. we never seen his bedroom, right? I don't think so, no. So
1: what do you think is in his bedroom? Because she has a mini-flogger, handcuffs and all the plushies. Does he have, well, maybe not crucifixes, but does he have like a collection of Witchfinder pins in there or...
0: I feel like since he's such a fake finder, he might just have like a regular plain bed. So
1: the most boring bedroom Of all times.
0: Yeah, probably with the furniture that came with the flat.
1: Okay, I can live with that.
0: Why does she have so many stuffies?
1: Like, do you think it's one of her job thingies that made her shop for them? Or is it her thingy that she has those?
0: I'd say that it's her thingy. Okay. I can live with that. I have a lot of stuffies. Also, it could be a way, but I don't see that happening for her because she is so confident with who she is that she could like hide things. Oh no, no, no. But yeah, I don't, I don't feel like that's consistent with her as a character.
1: So this is the moment where we get the title drop. And right after he says that he is the doomsday option, he finds a tiny wiggle vlogger, which obviously is pink. Has to be. And then we get the whip snap sound to transition us over into the other scene, which is perfect.
0: Such a great transition. I fucking love that. Perfect. Now we can move over
1: into heaven.
0: (sighs) I would like to talk about all of the outfits. And the facial hair.
1: Do that. I only wrote down, what an impressive beard. And that is all I have on the visuals. So
0: so have you noticed that the facial hair of all the angels who are standing in the line behind him also have like a black and white. I
1: thought it was face paint.
0: No, 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 no. It was actually, it looked like beard. So I would assume it was. I thought it was makeup. I would have to go back to check, but I am pretty sure it was all facial hair.
1: Wow. Okay. Good. I thought they had bad war paint, basically.
0: <laughs> Which would also track, to be honest. Because, to be fair, I
1: was mostly confused. We are meant to believe that Aziraphale is the last one to report to duty, right? Because it's like, oh you're late, la la la. One of the last ones, yeah. So if he's the last one, why is there this ginormous line of angels handing over several sets of outfits? Because they're not just handing down one set. There's at least one if not two sets also coming down the line.
0: Okay, I'm not sure about that, but the guy mentions that Aziraphale's whole platoon is waiting for him. So I assume this is his platoon. Also, that brings me to the question, is it his platoon as he commands the platoon, because he is that high-ranking, or is it his platoon as his soldiers, his companion soldiers, rather?
1: Uh, So I did not even consider that the the line of angels could be his platoon. And yeah, no, I, I would assume his platoon in a sense of his to command, because... Otherwise, why would they be waiting for him?
0: Which makes him way higher positioned in the army than I would ever expect they would allow him to be, to be honest.
1: Well, the thing is, he supposedly is super successful on Earth and everything, right? Both Heaven and Hell are super happy with their respective
0: agent. I mean, they're definitely happier with Crowley than they are with Aziraphale. Do you think so? Yeah, well, we have seen... Aziraphale being punished for the miracles and stuff like that in the past so maybe not everything that he does is perceived as well.
1: He has to have a pretty high rank because he had a fucking flaming sword and he was the whole guarding the side of Eden and everything so he has to have started out pretty high and I don't see him being demoted or anything because why? Angels were not really actively fighting so he has to have started out high.
0: This is what made me believe that he is the leader of the platoon, yes.
1: Yeah, but I did not even consider that this fucking line of face paint angels... is his platoon but yeah it actually makes sense
0: and we get a mention of celestial wages
1: here which i referenced in the episode where it was obvious that gabriel and sandalphon have no understanding of money and so one does wonder what wages they get and if they are being paid in money or i don't know ambrosia or something
0: what a jump from money to ambrosia or maybe amount of miracles
1: or miracle energy or I don't know like what do angels get paid in it's a question for the list.
0: I would love to know that as well. Is it just answering of your of their wishes? But they shouldn't have any wishes because they're angels, technically, right? Yeah.
1: So what do angels get paid in? What are their wages? <laughs> so the dude is very upset that Aziraphale got discorporated. But Aziraphale has apparently finally run out of fucks to give, as I have said before. And it is absolutely beautiful to see Aziraphale as someone who does what he wants. Because he realizes wait if demons can possess someone technically he also should be able to do it because technically demons are ex-angels so he goes to the now correctly rotating earth and he goes like how does one navigate Uh, i'll figure it out and he
0: touches britain and he goes "Woo!" and then he's gone the whoosh fucking sent me. It's so
1: funny. It's very, very adorable. And I am here for taking charge dad Xerophil energy.
0: So we pop over to Adam for a second. And he is still in a frenzy. He still has his red eyes. No, he
1: doesn't. Not in the beginning of the scene. They turn red shortly after, but in the first few seconds, because I took note of this, he has normal eyes. I'm pretty sure it was a mistake, because his voice is the same as it was before, and the same as it is afterwards, when he has both times the red eyes. But right in the beginning, for a few seconds, he has normal eyes. And I think they just missed the CGI.
0: Wow, fixing the problems and everything. Ah, pointing out things that... Nobody cares about. <laughs> that is
1: kind of our thing, you know? Yeah. Like, this, this is what we're here for.
0: True. That's why our podcast exists in the first place. And
1: why people love us. Sure they do. At least some people,
0: right? Please no. tell us. We need love and reassurance. And validation.
1: Yeah, because we're sure as fuck not validating each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who needs that? So Adam has gotten into such a frenzy that he demands answers, but his friends don't have mouths. And then he gives them back their mouths so they can smile creepily. That was so fucked up. Terrifying. So bad. It's just, this whole scene is ugh.
1: The way they smile remembered me of actually an Angel episode, like from Buffy and Angel, because there's an episode called Smile Time, where kids get afflicted by evil things, and then they have the permanent smile in their face while they are basically in a coma or something. Look, Just like that.
0: Terrifying! It's that or it obviously is giving off Joker vibes quite intensely for me. Specific Jokers. Like the Mark Hamill Joker a little bit. I'm
1: trying to think. Was there ever a Doctor Who episode with creepy smiles?
0: Oh yes. It's David Tennant on a horse on a spaceship with one from Friends. So probably that
1: is the association we are supposed to have in our brains. I only just thought about, wait, there's so many Doctor Who references. There has to be a Doctor Who episode with the smiling. So we leave the creepily smiling thems and we go over to Nude and Anathema who have finished, hopefully both. Really, really hope Anathema did get to finish. And they're dressing, or rather, Anathema is dressing and Nude is still going, wow, I've never, like, yeah, dude, we know. And so she hands him a card. We cannot tell the number of the prophecy. And the prophecy says, of course, you go, boy, may fortune be with you. Anathema, my descendant, I trust he will be fine of feature and mighty of... We don't get to hear that part.
0: But we can pretty easily imagine what word could have been used. Well, do you think it's size or endurance i mean since we're very close to the end of the world i think that agnes would refer to size rather than endurance because they don't have that much time
1: yeah but if he doesn't know what he's doing size might not be a
0: plus let's just say it says (laughs) of a mighty oak
1: oh god
0: reference to wood
1: yeah yeah i got that thank you you're welcome (laughs) I'm going to go with final feature and mighty of performance or something, because that would just be everything.
0: Yeah. Also, when you started talking about this, I thought that you said nude instead of nude. (laughs) So (laughs) so, anathema and nude. And nude nude. Nude nude.
1: Nude nude. Like penguin. Nude nude. Pingu. Not penguin. (laughs) but speaking of mute this is the first moment where i start liking him because not because he's precious or anything but because he finally says something that i think someone else should have told anathema ages ago she should really kind of do her own things and not just leave all the big decisions up to agnes and i get that in this universe and everything agnes predictions are all accurate and yaddy yadda yaddy but anathema should still be her own person And I feel like Nude is the first and only person to have ever told her that. And so first brownie point in my
0: book for the boy nude. (laughs) The boy nude. (laughs) The nude boy. (laughs) When this scene started, I actually got really upset. And I didn't remember this scene. And I realized that the reason I don't really remember this scene is because I hate it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Because... I just despise the fact that the only reason Anathema sleeps with Newt is because it's in a prophecy. And she basically tells him that. And it's just so just said. And I hate that. I hate it for him. I hate it for her. And I was getting very internally upset when she started talking like that. And then, thank fuck, Newt says the thing that I was Thinking and what you now said, why can't she ever just do things for herself and see how they turn out? And it gets worse later on.
1: When she says that Agnes has never failed me, sometimes I fail her. And I'm like, no girl, definitely not.
0: You literally cannot fail her.
1: And I was upset about this the last episode already. So I'm happy that you are now upset with me.
0: Yeah, I feel like in the last episode it wasn't as grating. It wasn't as in your face. You were busy last episode to defend your
1: boy, Newt. Because I was very mean to him and about him. And this time you don't need to defend him. Because he already has taken one step... Towards your heart. Well out of the gutter and so now you can spend your energy on actively agreeing with me that this is bad and creepy and unhealthy
0: yay we're in agreement it's been a while but it's not Newt's fault no
1: no no no. i don't blame nude for any of this actually because not only does not really know what's going on pretty sure he also has a concussion So I really don't blame him. He is thrown into a situation he knows nothing about and I stick with it. I say that he is the only one immune basically to the protection thingy of Adam but it does not mean that he's immune to having a fucking concussion.
0: Or to have a crush on this gorgeous fucking woman. Well
1: I don't think he has a crush on her yet because that is a bit fast. We're not in singles inferno here where you have nine days to fall in love or...
0: I mean, you can have a crush on somebody that you just meet. She is very impressive and very beautiful. I'm
1: gonna believe you on that. I wouldn't know.
0: And she was interested in him in a way that no woman before was ever interested in him. At least that's what we gathered as an information. So I understand that he is kind of fallen for her a little bit. I'm not saying he's fell for her yet, but he is definitely falling for her. But yeah, let's just get back to London so we can talk about how, again, heartbreaking and sad and beautiful performance and just this scene in the pub in London with baby, poor baby Crowley.
1: So in the beginning, I thought that he was getting his second bottle. It's actually his third bottle, as we see later in the wider shot. And the way he talks once Aziraphale shows up. Also, did you notice that Aziraphale's reflection can be seen in his glasses? So when he talks to Ziraphel, you can hear the tears in his voice, which is, this is acting-wise no surprising, David Tennant kills it. But I was very confused. Crowley can see Aziraphale, but Aziraphale can't see Crowley, apparently. Because Aziraphale says, did you go to Alpha Centauri? And I kind of would assume that there's no English pubs on Alpha
0: Centauri. I mean, he could have asked to see if he went and then came back. Even though it doesn't really make sense. He also doesn't
1: look at him. He looks around. So I am pretty sure that for some reason Crowley can see him. But
0: he can't see Crowley. Interesting. I didn't think of that. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. Yeah.
1: We leave the pub. Because Zirafel has to leave the pub and Crowley needs to get to Tadfield, basically.
0: Wait, also, there's this whole thing. Oh, you have to wiggle on.
1: Oh, right. That's where your word comes from.
0: No, 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 no. that's not where my word. No,
1: yours was widdle, not wiggle.
0: <laughs> wiggle on was definitely one of my options. But there's even less on wiggle than there is on widdle.
1: Because there's less wiggle room.
0: <laughs> oh, she thinks she's funny. I'm sorry. It took me
1: an hour to get awake again, so deal with it.
0: No. Wiggle, wiggle.
1: But now we go over to Madame Tracy's and she has a seance. And I need to do a very short Caps realization moment. The actress playing the person with the green hat who insists speaking to Ron, that is the same person that plays Madame Fenadier in the 25th anniversary of Le Mis. And she is, in my opinion, one of the best Madame Fénardiers that you have ever seen on stage. Aww. Because I was like, where the fuck do I know her from? Where the fuck do I know her from? Holy fucking shit. She does it together with Matt Lucas. The two of them are the pairing for
0: the 25th anniversary. Nice. So that is a character that I remember from the book. And it is a personification that did not fail. It is exactly as obnoxious and annoying as it is in the book. Maybe even worse.
1: I have not reread the book further than we have watched, so I'm not this far along. And I don't remember anything of Madame Tracy and the scene in the book. Nothing.
0: I remember this scene exists, and I remember being very confused that we haven't seen it yet because it is quite late in the book and it is quite late in the show as well and it just feels like there's so much that still needs to happen to get to the end of the story after this whole Aziraphale showing up at Madame Tracy's seance situation Mm -hmm. that I always think every single time I either read it or watch it that I always think that this scene is going to be earlier than it actually is.
1: Well, but it can only happen after Israfel loses his body.
0: Yes, it makes sense that it's this late. But also, in my brain, it always is earlier than that because otherwise, how are you going to fit all the events that are going to happen afterwards into such a small amount of time? I
1: don't have anything else really for this part.
0: Oh, my only note for this is mm, receptive body hum. It's all happening.
1: I mean, given her other career, it makes sense that (laughs) she's... Like she's the perfect combination? I can't
0: believe you went there.
1: I mean, come on. She is the perfect combination because she's both a receptive body and a receptive vessel.
0: And she is also perfect within the story because she's friends with Shitwell, who is... The Witchfinder. And also she's the best
1: person. So it makes sense that the angel would get the best as human.
0: Yep. Perfect.
1: We go into the scene with the horseman. And very obviously, war drives a red motorbike. Later on, we see it's a Ducati. (laughs) Sadly, I could not make out the model, but it's a Ducati. So at least there's something. When we are in the cafe, I went for a freeze frame. You did catch that the screen on the machine has... T. Pratchett on spot one with 9,999,999 points. I did not catch that. And place second to 10 is all by D.F. Like death. Oh. So Terry Pratchett beat death by one point because second place is 9,999,998.
0: Terry Pratchett beat death.
1: Yep. So that was very, very nicely done. (laughs) (laughs) I did not mean to hurt you.
0: Also, I don't know why, but I remembered this image that I had in my head from reading the book and I thought that they would be getting together in like a more traditional English pub rather than a this kind of a setting. I don't know why. I think they had to update several things.
1: This feels more modern.
0: Have you, have you seen Hot Fuzz? Yes, of course. So, so I imagined the pub from Hot Fuzz.
1: I get you. And lastly... I am not quite sure why the game over screen pops up on the left machine instead of the machine he was playing at. I assume it's because Death is like blocking the right screen. So you can't see that screen where all the high score is being shown. That is where the game over pops up.
0: So technically it can't be game over for Death because he's dead. It says game over when he stops playing. So take that as thou wilt. Have you actually noticed who voices Death? No. Brian Cox. I looked it up today because I was like, hmm, it sounds familiar. I just couldn't place it for the life of me. So I actually looked it up and it is Brian Cox. So regarding death. uh,
1: (laughs) So obviously the three of them are sitting there having a conversation. Then they start realizing the beep, beep, beep sound of the video game. And then they turn over. He has game over. He turns around and they start talking to him. They are very referring to him. Like... Oh Lord and everything. Do they speak to him with reference because he is what follows? Because all three of them are the first step and he is the last step basically. War and then death. Famine and then death. Pollution and then death. So he's like he's the ultimate.
0: He's the final destination for everybody including them I would assume. So he
1: is one step above the three of them. So basically they the three of them are the them and death is Adam.
0: Yes. Good.
1: Then I'm right in my assumptions, I'm good with that.
0: I also love how they uh, kind of hone in by the end of the episode that it's them. Really well written. Now, Brian Cox brings us in uh, to uh, the last hundred miles ride. And we go back to Madame Tracy's apartment for the real seance. Holy fucking shit. The way they create this whole effect of her starting picking up different noises and stuff. It feels like she's like this weird spiritual radio that Aziraphale is trying to tune.
1: But in the beginning, it's very obviously all bullshit.
0: Yes, at the beginning, it's all bullshit. And then the elephant screams.
1: Yeah, but before that, she is really bad at what she's doing. Of course. Do you know someone who's called John? and (laughs) James? (laughs) Steve?
0: (laughs) This is just them putting on pedestal how the fake sciences work. But then the elephant sound comes. And
1: that's when the real thing starts.
0: Going through the radio stations until we get Aziraphale. And it is absolutely incredible because he goes to get Ron. And that's when the shit really goes wild. Well, he doesn't really go to get him.
1: Ron is apparently already waiting there. So if Madame Tracy was better at her job, she actually might have been able to channel Ron for reals. Or idea.
0: Maybe she knew. Maybe she knew and she just wasn't willing to because she knew what was gonna happen. Because she knows this woman.
1: And she also didn't want to pass on the rudeness. She needs her to come back. She needs her money. Yeah. So we're gonna not judge her ability because maybe she knew and maybe she made a deliberate choice. Well she needs to be a true medium in order for Aziraphale to be able to enter. But like you said The adjustment between the two voices is
0: amazingly well done. I really, really enjoyed it. And it really gets you to understand what's happening in the situation. That it's not just her pretending to sound different or anything like that. It's truly coming across.
1: What I most enjoyed about all of this is not just like the whole Ron shouting at his fucking widow and everything. But the dude. The dude at the table. He (laughs) has so much fun he's living for it also he seemed incredibly familiar but I could not place him but he is living this he is here for it I mean he also says so at the end when they leave like A plus performance and everything but his facial expression this is someone I want in my audience when I play on stage you know like this is someone who is
0: feeling it he's giving the energy back
1: I love him I don't know who he is but I love him (laughs)
0: We also at one point get a little cut to shadow in the bedroom and we can notice that the weather in the bedroom is very different to what it is in the actual living room.
1: I did not catch that.
0: It's just very short pop over there and you can see the sunshine behind the window and it's relatively quiet and it goes back to Ron yelling at his late wife and the entire room is shaking and everything.
1: I only saw the pink leather cuffs that are lying right next to her shoulder, so I was distracted. Did you catch them? No. (laughs) (laughs) And this is why we do this podcast together.
0: (laughs) The special things that speak of our character.
1: That show really who we are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. So End of the seance, Israfel slash Madame Tracy is throwing out everyone. Happy dude is super happy, complimenting her, them, whatever. And then what I did not understand is, why are they taking time to make tea? And then I realized, ah, Israfel is not in charge yet. Because he needs her consent to be in charge. Probably, and also he was only talking. He was only doing like spiritual stuff but he did not command her body in that sense. So next step, of course, him waving from the mirror and Tracy realizing, ah,
0: there is somebody inside me, which... Still there. She normally would know this, probably.
1: Which also leads me to believe that this is not the first spiritual possession that has happened to her, because she seems very surprised to me that he is still there. But not as shaken by the fact that he was there at all.
0: She seems very willing to accept things as they come. Oh, yeah, she's very fly by the seats of my pants. And now. And now. Boom, boom, boom. Another one bites the dust. Doom, doom, doom. Another one bites the dust. And, and another one goes another one. Yeah, no. Oh, hey, this was great. Okay, <laughs> so we go to Crowley and. We now hear about why the M25 is a stroke of genius. So we
1: actually have a flashback.
0: I know, we have a flashback and Crowley has a new hairstyle and a fucking mustache.
1: I was about to say, I don't care about the hair, but that mustache, that mustache, I don't even know how to fucking pronounce this because there are no words for the worm on his upper lip. It is horrifying it is distracting it is
0: it's bigger than magnum pi it's
1: just bad
0: it's certainly a choice
1: yeah it's basically its own creature question
0: so while
1: crowley does the whole explanation as to why the street blah 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 blah, and everything and so we also get our exposition i get that but what i did not get is supposedly hell is super impressed by everything that crowley has done and is doing and is achieving on Earth. Why is the entire crowd and not just Hester so incredibly bored and actually booing at Crowley?
0: Because they don't understand what he is actually doing. Like, how is he doing that?
1: But if he is the poster boy for Hell and his results speak for himself, shouldn't they just in general be like, yay, whatever you're doing is great? Or is it a Hell and Demon thing that even if they are... Yay, you're doing great. They could never tell him that because they're demons and demons don't praise each other.
0: I feel like they're just not the yay, you rock crowd. So no, we will rock you. (laughs) They will not rock you. Good, good.
1: They will stone you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
0: Yes. Oh my god, that was actually a good one. So we get the explanation of what M25 is and... I feel like this is one of the few projects which Crowley is actually enthusiastic about, because first of all, we now know he has amazing imagination. And second of all, this is probably one of the few projects that he actually did hands-on. And
1: what a hands-on, like he actively moved around a few markers. He literally got his hands dirty.
0: And... Got really excited about it as well, because you can see like, look at me, look at me, this is so cool.
1: He's proud of himself. Yeah, and
0: so he should be.
1: It's great. We go back to London first, and then Tadfield, and then back to London. I just kept it all together, basically. And actually, this is where we see the pink wrist cuffs properly, because this is where I wrote them down. And Shadwell wakes up, is awake, realizes that... Madam Tracy has a visitor, apparently, who is planning naughty things with her. And so he comes to her defense or something, like at least in his mind. Yes,
0: because he's shit well.
1: So he turns the corner, he sees her sitting in front of the mirror, and we see raphael, And it's like, that pansy, it's, it's the southern pansy, it's the southern pansy. So that is very, very
0: sweet. Now... We get to see the consequences of Crowley's genius decision 30, 40 years ago or whatever. Depends what what year are we in actually? Mm, did we state it? I don't really think that we, we established a year, but yeah, uh Crowley made a decision, very creative decision in the 80s or 70s, and now London is inside of a ring of fire little ring of fire.
1: And we also see the effect that Adam's awakening has on the world because this is the scene where the dude gets out of the car to whittle, which is to be on the street basically. Through a urinate. And the moment basically he leaves his car and opens the door and thus apparently breaches the protection or whatever, he starts praising the great beast and so does his wife who's still in the car. To me, this means free will
0: is now officially out of the window. Poor humans. Poor humans. So the entire M25 starts chanting and then it bursts in flames. And they all die. There's so many casualties, actually. And it burns, 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 the The ring of fire, fire. the The ring ring of fire. fire. And now you can't tell me that you can't sing. You're such a great singer. I'm really not. Mm, The raised eyebrow does not convince me, Lina. (laughs) It goes higher and higher and higher. Ring of fire. (laughs) And uh, speaking of casualties, the next scene we get a telemarketer.
1: Wait, 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 wait. How dare, Vero? How dare? So, A... It made no sense to me that Crowley knows it's on fire because we don't see him being able to see the ring of fire. Yet we see that later on. So I was like, oh, does he know? But also, how dare you skip over the news announcer lady that says, (laughs) and to quote, it's on fire or something.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. Whatever
1: does that mean?
0: I don't know what does it mean. uh, Seriously, it fucking
1: killed me with the. It's on fire or something.
0: <laughs> to quote.
1: It was perfect, seriously.
0: Yeah, the delivery of, her, of hers
1: was incredible as well. And now, please do take us into the call center. And before you get us there, I looked up the actress for the call center lady because she seemed so incredibly familiar. I don't know her. She, I don't know if she reminds me of someone or something, but...
0: Probably, because I didn't tag her as somebody familiar. So she clearly hates her job because... Wouldn't you hate being hanged up on constantly and just being perky on the phone all the time? I just, I hate these kinds of jobs in general.
1: I mean, she is being paid to call people for a fraud, basically. Like, she calls everyone about a car accident that they have been in and their due compensation. Like, it's obviously a fraud to me.
0: Yes, it's a scam. So, obviously, people hang up on her because that's just what you do. And then she gets to a point. Where there is a sentence on her screen,
1: and never one bites the dust,
0: and a name,
1: and they misspell it.
0: Is it misspelled, or is it what Crowley names himself in the phone book?
1: It's probably misspelled because that is what happens quite a lot in those databanks.
0: I wasn't aware of that. So we see Anthony Coley.
1: with double W,
0: which is a lot of use. Well, maybe it's like a snake. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a W, it's a Quadro-U. That sounds
1: gross for some reason. (laughs) Quadro-U.
0: Okay, continue. Not only we have the casualties on M25, but now Huster finally gets out of the answering machine and he devours the flesh of every single person in that room. And I ask, why? He was a little bit peckish.
1: So demons eat human flesh if they want to.
0: Yeah, I believe that could be the case. Especially haster, So traditional. Hmm, okay.
1: It was a very odd character choice for me. Also, it was disgusting as
0: fuck. Oh, fuck yeah. That was gross. We leave the grossness
1: and we go back to Madame Tracy's apartment, where now Madame Tracy, Aziraphale and Shadwell together are trying to figure out everything. But apparently Aziraphale has not only run out of fucks to give, he also has gotten over his qualms when it comes to murder, because he needs Shadwell to straight up murder a
0: child. It is a lot.
1: So Israfel propagates murder, we have the conversation, I don't have anything else. I have
0: one thing about this scene and that is the gun actually was Chekhov's gun. We will get to use it. Right, I completely forgot it. We called it Chekhov's gun. Also, explain to me how does it actually fire bricks? How do you fit bricks into that? I mean, it is a big gun. Ha, 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 ha. Well, it fires something for sure. So
1: we, we shall see. I can't even that I only remember that we were talking about Chekhov's sword because the flaming sword keeps being mentioned. This episode, again, and still we don't see it, so it kind of has to show up next episode because it's being mentioned every single episode.
0: But the gun, it is asked about, so it is notably taken into play and therefore it is now being used and that makes it a Chekhov's. Gun. Oh,
1: absolutely. So now
0: it's time for what I called the fire drive scene. I just call it I'm in love with my car. That is actually the song that plays now. Is it? It indeed is. So this is the moment where Crowley actually starts moving towards the flaming wall of M25. And he stops beforehand and tries to figure out how to get through it rationally. And suddenly Huster is next to him. Because Haster has powers. And we've seen him escape the phone. So... He shows up and he starts getting really ominous and it's all about the hell will not forgive and it will not forget and he gets really righteous.
1: He's more righteous than a priest ever. It's
0: just this wild moment but then Crowley is just like, "Eh." you say I can't drive through it. I don't think so. And just starts driving towards the wall and you can see Huster pretty much shitting bricks.
1: And to me, that makes no sense. So Hoster was able to beam himself into the Bentley. Why doesn't he just leave?
0: I feel like this is a bit of a plain chicken.
1: But he's literally burning and discorporating and he's scared and he's like, no, stop it and everything. Why?
0: I feel like he doesn't believe that Crow is actually gonna drive in. He's
1: too scared to for me to believe that. So also... I get that the imagination Crowley has keeps the car together, but apparently it also keeps himself from
0: burning. Because he, the car isn't burning, so why should he burn?
1: Well, the car is burning, it's just still driving. Well, the car is on fire.
0: God literally says he convinced himself that the car and the leather is not on fire.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: And that's how it's keeping, to keeping it together. But
1: then why do we get the visual that the car is on fire but he's not? Because then, by, then technically he also should be on fire.
0: No! Because the inside of the car is not burning, just the outside of the car is burning.
1: I feel like that is a very,
0: no... Convenient thing.
1: So, in the beginning, it's not... Queen in the beginning it's Mozart and then of course it turns into Queen and I actually did not catch that it turns into I love my car I'm in love with my car whatever Th- that early I thought that happened after the next Tetfuel scene but I believe you because you know those songs much better than I and obviously now we get the whole imagination speech and everything and now we get the two coppers outside of the burning ring and they have a conversation that I mention in parts in my facts and funds and then The Bentley comes out of the flames and drives (laughs) past the two coppers. And of course, he waves at them. And the male copper goes, he was waving at us. And I was like, wow.
0: Of course, he fucking waves at them. I love it so much. This entire scene, it goes above and beyond. And I know that I've seen some interviews with Michael and David. And they are specifically multiple times they specifically talk about this scene and the fact that Crowley is inside of a burning car and how incredible it was to shoot and stuff like that so but they
1: never mention if the car was actually on fire no <laughs> because that would be great for our questions
0: <laughs> no also
1: we have to acknowledge that David Tennant's mouth and teeth and movable face is especially fitting for this because we do get a shit ton of close-ups.
0: It's so good. And you can see, it's not just me that his eyes are getting bigger, right?
1: Yes, he's getting more snake-like, basically. Like he is reverting to his original form a bit.
0: Oh! At least that was
1: my association. I didn't
0: think of that. But no, you're right. It actually does because his eyes get bigger and more snake-like and more profound.
1: The camera basically has like a fish lens effect. So the middle is bigger than the outside. So his face is slightly distorted as well. So it's like protruding via this.
0: I just thought that he is concentrated so hard that the reality is getting distorted around him because it's not actually possible for him to be able to do this.
1: I'm pretty sure that he is using energy to present himself different than he is. So maybe he's using so much energy to reshape reality that he's losing a bit of the grip on his outward form. What his body is. That is actually a great theory. I love that. I just thought of The Good Place and was like... ha. Maybe the suit is leaking. (laughs) No, because like later on when you see the four horsemen, um, you see the three of them, the them-them, getting leaky, basically. So reality is kind of unraveling. Speaking of the them, we go to Tadfield and the good them have their mouths back. And
0: Pepper is best. I love Pepper. My first note on this scene is good for Pepper. Go, Pepper.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that Pepper is the one to lead the verbal attack against Adam that she is talking back and that she is the first to leave and then the other two turn around and follow her. Like she is very obviously the strongest of the three, the strongest of the them. And I find it incredibly hilarious that Adam is hovering behind them. Like he isn't even walking. He's creepily hovering behind them. And also we were talking about this last episode dog is not his dog anymore and in this scene i think it gets pointed out by pepper he's his own dog
0: see this is something that sneakily happened because of how adam was raised and how he grew up and who are his friends and stuff like that because regardless of any influences and i believe that we have mentioned that in a correlation with warlock if any of these influences were in his life the whole armageddon would have turned out Completely different, but because he created his own world, and therefore he was himself, and he he has his own personality, which is something that Pepper points out as well. They all have their own personality, so regardless of the dynamics in the group, they still are essentially democracy. So they know how to stand up for themselves and how to stand up for each other, which is just something that everybody should. Do it for themselves. Everybody should find their own person and hold on to their true self. And I think the world would be a better place.
1: Well, the world definitely would be a better place with more peppers in them.
0: More peppers peppered in. (laughs) If you have seen Lina's face right now.
1: Be glad you're too far away so I can't hit you.
0: You can kick me, but that's (laughs)
1: feet. Okay. So everything escalates, Adam stalks them more, they talk back more at him, and then he flies up, everything, whoa, and then he collapses and falls down to the ground. And I love Brian grabbing the cricket bat thingy, just in case.
0: I just love the implications of this scene, because it means that regardless of the voices that Adam keeps hearing and that are telling him to let the them go, and be for himself and take over the world and everything. He doesn't want to do it by himself. He wants to be with his friends. He wants to be with his dog. And now that all of them are leaving him behind, because he's allowing them to, he's giving them the option to choose, he flies over them and then he does all the yelling and they start asking the right questions. Like, how is it good To wipe out the world if somebody fucks up. Why not just fix it?
1: Also they make a very clear distinction between adults and children. In my opinion that's also important with the them parallel with the horsemen. Because they do ask if they're grown-ups. And Adam says yes. So this is very much a why punish the truly innocent for things that others have done. Wipe out everyone when not everyone fucked up. Because people would be affected that are not at fault, you need to fix it instead of restarting.
0: Exactly, because otherwise we will make the same mistakes. We will still make the same mistakes because we are humans, but you don't make it any better by restarting things and we know from the flashbacks that God tried that before and it failed.
1: Well, he only did it to one part because he wasn't angry at Asia. Sorry, I had to point that out. The point still stands though. I do think, though, that if Dog had not abandoned Adam, he would not have let go of the obsession that he was in. That is the straw that breaks the camel's back in Adam's case. So, like, this is a very
0: clear trigger.
1: Dog is also rejecting him. Because if your goodest boy is not on your side, you can't be good. Period.
0: And the true power of friendship.
1: The true power of friendship. Because now they're just friends again. He apologizes. I don't know what I was
0: doing, now I know, I'm sorry, and now all is good. Very kids-like conversation.
1: They seem to have a better grasp of what is happening, even though they don't know what's happening, because it seems very clear to me that it is clear to them that this was not Adam-Adam, so they don't blame him for things that were out of his control, which I really appreciate. They're good boys, and girls, and kids.
0: Why would I even say that? You. I was wondering where is that going? <laughs>
1: They're good tiny humans. We stay in Tadfield, but we pop over to Anathema and Newt. Newt, Newt. <laughs> Sorry, that's... <laughs> Newt, Newt. That's going to be the thing. It's a Newt, Newt and a Newt, Newt. So Newt, once again, has the only smart idea because he's like, well, if Agnes never steers you wrong, it's very simple what you have to do. Pick any of the prophecies and that's going to be the right one.
0: Pick a card, any card. Which I think is great because this is right after we got the compilation of different slides when Adam was yelling and we saw God mixing the cards. And now Newt comes to Anathema and says, just pick a card, any card. The thing is, Newt is not camp. Everything
1: is predestined, but... If everything is predestined and Agnes is the one steering everything, then she will know what card you will be picking and then the right information is going to be on that card. It makes complete sense. So even if you don't believe in predestination, if it actually exists, then... ABC must be correct, and so this is what he says, and this is what she does, and so obviously the prophecy reads: "When the skies are crimson, seen, then you both must stand between the world of life and the world of war, where the iron birds lands no more." Sadly, once again, we do not have a number. So for a while now, we did not get proper numbers for the prophecies. We don't need numbers. I do because I need to have some information: how many there are, and in which order she wrote them
0: down. So I'm upset.
1: It ends in a four. That's something I can tell. It's.
0: Are you upset or obsessed? Both. There we go. So they start talking about what the prophecy actually means, and they piece together that it's about the airside.
1: Well, nude says, "Iron bird. That must be a plane. Where don't they fly?" And then she goes like, "Well, there's a retired airbase." Da da. So once again, Newt proves to have an innate understanding of prophecies. For some reason.
0: It is clearly his faith as the Witchfinder General's, not ancestor, the other thing. Descendant? Descendant. So they start talking about the airfield. Airbase, oh my god, I'm gonna call it anything but Airbase, they start talking about the Airbase and Anathema starts talking about what they actually do there and they start talking about communication channels. Computers and stuff. And in that point, they're like, oh no, they wouldn't or something like that. And I'm like, they what? What? Was it not obvious? At that point, no, I only got the idea of what is going to happen when Adam actually spells it out. So
1: communications computers and stuff made two things very obvious to me the whole it's military and you have communication connection very obviously and we already know about the nuclear armageddon thingy because azurafel had the conversation with metatron so we know it's gonna be atomic and we know they have communication that is military proven basically like military vetted so it was very obvious to me okay this is where they're gonna start the whole nuclear warfare shit And also it was very obvious to me that computers and stuff means Newt and his negative computer powers.
0: His superpower. Basically. This is
1: extremely obvious to
0: me. It's gonna come to play for sure, yeah. We go back
1: to London for a moment. Because we are on the Vespa-like thingy. Oh, yes. Where Aziraphale needs to be reminded of the fact that miracles are a thing. And since he has no more fucks to give... He doesn't care if he uses miracles nilly-willy. Wibbly-wobbly. I love nilly-willy. Nilly-willy is such a great expression. (laughs) So he miracles them... Into a flying Vespa that is much faster but still uses a turn signal at a T section. Did you catch that? Yes, it's so fell. He has decided to properly rebel and everything, but he's still gonna have a turn signal.
0: I mean, we can't go completely wild, can we now?
1: I love it.
0: So, right after that, we go back to Tatfield. And this is the point when we really start jumping from one place to another. But all Trains lead to Tatfield. All all roads, roads, and all journeys are gonna end up there at the airbase specifically. I thought you were doing
1: a reference to Rome because all roads lead to Rome.
0: Also, that <laughs> all roads do lead to Tatfield and the airbase. However, some of them not so directly because the four horsemen of the apocalypse got lost. Which it's perfect. It's incredible and the fact that they have to ask for direction the dude with the dog which is a character that's coming back we've seen him before.
1: Which supposedly is called Pete Tyler.
0: Yeah and did you notice that he gives them different directions than he did give to Crowley later? I don't think he gave them different
1: he gave them the same direction but in a way more complicated roundabout way. It's still the same direction but much longer and confusingly told as one would expect from someone living in like a backwater place that does not like tourists. Like I'm gonna answer your question, but I'm gonna answer it in a way that's not gonna help you.
0: Luckily for the horsemen, death is good with that. So oh, they're just so so wacky the directions though.
1: We go back to Newt and Enafema an for a moment, and here we have another card. Again with no number. Very salty. And this one says, behind the eagle's nest a great ash hath fallen. And here we have some handwritten annotations that I actually could read this time. One is 1970, surely, question mark. One is eagle's nest, question mark, the Russian Empire, question mark. And one is the, quotation, great ash would be the revolution of 1905. And so, of course, everything that Anathema says in this very short scene with, like, my family fought related to Russia, blah, blah. Makes sense with the annotations on that card.
0: So, we go to the airbase. And first of all, I know that you definitely noticed this, but it is a little tiny little detail that the soldier is reading a book. Oh! Have you noticed which book it is?
1: Yeah, of course. I kept all the Air Force Base facts in one thing together. So... You have to write this is where it actually should be brought. I put it too far down my notes, which is why I was like, What <laughs> Okay, so yes, he reads a book. So I'm just gonna add all the Air Force base facts here. He reads a book and it's American Gods, which obviously is a book by Neil Gaiman.
0: Does he read American Gods because he's American?
1: No, he reads the book because it's a Neil Gaiman book. So I have more Air Force information that is taken straight from IMDB because I know nothing about American military. One is the guard at the gate who is reading a book he wears chevrons on his sleeve indicating that he is an enlisted non-commissioned officer. He also displays a gold bar on his collar which is called a butter bar, indicating that he's a commissioned officer. You can be either non-commissioned or commissioned. You cannot be both at the same time. Also, rank insignia is no longer worn on the collar in any case. So either he's very bad at dressing himself or they did not do their research because no Americans were involved in the making of this scene.
0: They probably just don't care about military as much as the Americans care about military.
1: I assume like if they had a proper Murigan, cliche-wise, on set... He might have been like, hey guys, but probably all the Brits, so nobody knew, nobody cared. Then, when the four horsemen ride up to the US base on their motorcycles, it is incorrectly labeled as US Air Force in one word. Air Force has to be two words. And apparently the Union flag at the US Air Force is upside down. Don't ask me, I did not even catch that.
0: I'm sorry, Union Flag? Not Union Jack, Union Flag. What is a Union Flag? Don't ask me. I didn't see the flag. I noticed a flag, but that looked like a Union Jack. I didn't notice it. I just
1: wrote down the IMDb Air Force Base facts.
0: Okay. (laughs) We get a conversation between the four horsemen. Am I correct in thinking that this is the first and only time
1: we see Death's face? You are correct in in thinking that, yes. Is that a Terry Pratchett death face or not? Because I seem to remember that Death has more of a skull skull with Terry Pratchett. And this is more of a decayed face face.
0: I don't think I have ever seen... An actual depiction. But there's the movie with where Death is the hog father or something. And there he has a skull. In the movies, yes, he is usually depicted as a skeleton. Because that's how traditionally we see Death. How is he described in the book? They talk about bony hands and everything. But his face is never actually described in detail. Because you can see the vastness of the universe if you look inside the cape. But he's always wearing a cape. At least in all the books that I've read. So he shouldn't have a face at all. He has a face. It is undescribable because you cannot look in it.
1: But then it should not be just a decayed face. So then I'm gonna stick with my assumption. This is a Neil Gaiman death and not a
0: Terry Pratchett death. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So... They have the conversation, and
1: one thing I wanted to point out war comments on she expected more. And this
0: is not the first time she said that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm with her. All of this is incredibly whelming, mundane. And of course, on a certain level, it makes sense. I get it. But also, meh. <laughs> I'm with her. <laughs> I mean, you have her hair. Ah, currently, yes. With my low lights. Apparently, that's a thing. The black highlights are called low lights. There was an Instagram thingy because someone commented on, like, oh, you really went hard with your low lights. I was like, what? Yeah, it's a trend. It's like, okay. Apparently, congratulations. i congratulations free trend or something. <laughs> apparently, I'm fancy with the shit I do with my hair. I had never heard of it, but apparently, it's a thing. So, yeah, I have her hair and I share her, her opinions.
0: I actually had to write it down in this moment as well because it's been repeated by her so many times at that stage that it feels like it must mean something. Also, it
1: needs to be more. She is the one, the most vocal about her disappointment. The other two do not seem to mind as much or at all, actually.
0: They rode up to the soldier to the gate and he sees them as a huge black SUV and they're all sitting inside. They have a driver. So there's five of them inside.
1: Which was kind of cool. I like
0: that. I love that. Also, you don't really see them move. They just are in different positions. So it's incredibly suggesting. This is what they are projecting. Exactly. It really gives you a very intense feeling of something is really weird with this situation and you can't put your finger on it why but also it fits
1: really well with the general like military cliche that you would expect like the rigidness and everything so they frame it as a surprise inspection the dude goes I was not informed and they go like well it's a surprise which is like "Yay, awesome thank you and they're being let in So in we go, we cut over to Newt Anathema in the car, and did you notice that Newt's car is in perfect condition, despite having crashed last episode? I completely forgot about that, oh my god! It's ridiculous! Is the car
0: undamageable and that's why it's called Dick Turpin or whatever? I don't know, but I want to ask Newt why he's called his car Dick Turpin. I am not Anathema, I'm not a terrible human being. Who is really rude to my precious, precious baby.
1: I love that she's like, you're waiting for someone to ask. Maybe. And she doesn't and just keeps walking. I absolutely love it. He
0: gets so excited because (laughs) she insinuates. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I
1: noticed that she has like the box with the cards under her arm, which in retrospect, of course, because they need the cards to continue to pick the right prophecy. But in the moment I was like, why? (laughs) Sometimes I'm not as smart as I think, as I like to think. We go to the them.
0: And I actually called this scene the them. And then I continued, go Adam. Wow, I didn't expect myself to ever write that. The thing is,
1: to me, it made no sense that Adam knew this and that Adam phrased it like this. This was a very grown-up sentence coming out of a child's mouth delivered in a way that made it extremely clear that no child ever would say this. And I watched a Lost an Adaptation video where one of my favorite YouTubers compared the adaptation to the books. And he is a ginormous Pratchett fan.
0: Oh, it's your man that you sent me before, right? I'm pretty sure I saw this one as well. But
1: he says one thing, because in general he does not like child actors. But also he says that Terry Pratchett's writing for children does not translate well to the spoken word. And I feel like this is the
0: first instance where it's true for me. Because
1: this is nothing a child would ever say in this way.
0: It is not, but you have to realize that Adam is not just a regular child. He is the Antichrist and he hears voices and he has power that nobody can ever imagine. So that means that he probably has knowledge of things. Yes,
1: but I feel like after he dropped down and became friends with his friends again he should be more childlike than he was before so this kind of was a disconnect to me I'm not gonna keep harping on this but just like this was the first time I actually realized like huh it's actually a point maybe sometimes Pratchett does not do the kid's voice because I never had any issue with any of the kids dialogue before so this was the only instance where i was like now i get what he was saying
0: it is interesting and i think that might be connected to the fact that terry was never an actual child like anybody else himself (laughs) because he is he was such a smart individual and he was so advanced for his age as well and we've learned over the time that he was very very young when he left school and started working as an adult and earning money as an adult. So it might be because he didn't truly fully experience the childhood these characters have. So it might be the disconnect that he has there. Maybe.
1: I have not read enough from him to say if that is a thing in his books or not.
0: Anyway, Adam describes the situation and what is about to happen and one of the kids says But that would be quite difficult to achieve. And Adam goes, not really, not if you're them. And this is the moment where everybody starts using them very profoundly, including God. And they use them to describe the horsemen, which, of course, in the connotation with our, the them. And the first episode icons and everything, like it makes sense. It's just showing parallels that are going to be important, seemingly.
1: Also, it is one of many parallels that are getting more and more clear. Like Crowley and Aziraphale are becoming more paralleled. The them and the them are getting more paralleled. The demons and the angels are getting more and more similar. Like everything is not only physically getting closer together, but also metaphysically, basically. So it all makes sense. We cut over back to Death, and I don't remember what he does, but I wrote down, Death is very dramatic. Is that where he just kills all the people in the tech room, probably? Did you skip the moment? We're right before 31 minutes left. Oh, okay. So I don't know what death does, but I wrote down, death is very dramatic.
0: I feel like that's the moment where the person at the airbase asks for a screwdriver. So that is
1: where death kills everyone. Then this is what I meant with death is very dramatic. Everyone just drops dead.
0: They're drop dead. 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 Period.
1: <laughs> we get the signpost popping up that says, 31 minutes until the end of the world. <sighs>
0: So we have 31 minutes left and this is getting slightly chaotic now because we are jumping from a group of characters to different groups of characters. So excuse us if we skipping through things and returning to them later. But the dog walker is now verbally abusing the them on their bikes and asking them why are they out and they mouthing off back. Well, they're not really moaning
1: off. I feel like they're surprisingly civil with him because this is obviously not the first time he's harassing them. So I appreciate their restraint.
0: Oh no, I absolutely agree with everything they're saying. However, I feel like they are not polite to him at all. Not that they should be. They are
1: surprisingly polite, <laughs> given that this is probably a normal occurrence and he is an incredibly dick to them.
0: And then we get a loads of exposition from the horsemen. So they enter the airbase. And they enter the control room and they tell us what they're about to do. So more details on the plan that has been introduced by Adam and nudged towards by Anathema and Newt.
1: So what basically is the explanation that they are controlling the electricity and somehow that enables them to do their Thing. So war arms the warheads, pollution does something else, and famine doesn't really do much, but damn, all three of them look fucked. Oh yeah. They are leaking, literally leaking from ice and ears and famine's teeth have changed.
0: And it's just it's very fucked up. It's very fucked up. And as God says, they or them are in control. And now we get to see the North Dakota. We get to see the submarine called Firebird in North Atlantic. And just as a little side note on the current political and war climates in the world. The fact that the first country is Ukraine.
1: That the Russian soldier asked, who are we at war with? What do you think Ukraine? Given where we're at now? creepy things a little different also not if you paid attention to russia in the last 20 years or something (laughs) i mean if you ever paid attention to russia this is now where we cut over to the bentley that is driving into Chadfield. the bentley is still burning and now we have the communication between crowley in a burning bentley and the dog walker aka Pete Tyler and where we have the whole gods giving us the like surrounding information about sometimes it's very hard to say things and the dog walker actually saying what he has to say, and saying what he wants to say in a very random cut together scene that I found very confusing, but also very entertaining.
0: It is essentially the same principle that we've gotten with the sisters back in episode one about the babies and the wings.
1: Oh yeah, with the, yeah, with the winking.
0: Uh, We also get We Will Rock You as a song coming on with the Bentley, because there always has to be a song when a Bentley is driving around.
1: Also, we're running through quite a lot of Queen songs in this episode. This is the third or fourth or fifth song or something.
0: And we have the visual of the burning car. It's just so strong to me. I will never be able to get rid of that.
1: But to shorten this. Basically he gives him super simple instructions. Crowdy drives off. And he sends him off with a. Did you notice the like weird weather we're having? And Crowdy goes like. No I can't really say I have. And only when Crowdy drives off. He manages to get out. It's because your car is on fire. Now we have 17 minutes left. Till the end of the world. And I was a bit surprised that Aziraphale did not miracle them in high speed to the very door. Like, they are slow driving the last few meters. Is it to avoid detection, which I don't really think? Or did he run out of miracle juice? Or like...
0: I think it's entirely possible that he ran out of miracle juice. Because <laughs> it would take a lot of juice to get them out of London, over the burning wall. However, they must have flown over the burning M25. Probably. Crowley shows up. Crowley shows up with yet another song. The Bohemian Rhapsody is playing this time. And I gotta say, whatever song could have. I know, it's the golden era of Queen, the best of the best. But it's also the second time this song plays on the show, right? Maybe even third time, actually, when I think about it. Definitely a second time, maybe third time.
1: I'm pretty sure it's the second time, but we will talk about this once you divide the songs. Hint, hint. So he says... You won't get this performance from a modern car. And I wrote down in caps, not from any car. <laughs> but obviously he sees, he has a very different viewpoint when it comes to this. I don't have many notes on this because like we get on the base because the good them are showing up and the doors open because Adam and the soldier who was fucking around with them. And it's very cute
0: because the zero Fall is like, oh Crowley, like he won't let us in, do something. Inside. It's like, hobby, sort this. Exactly, it's this thing that's happening and it's been happening for the entire episode now, where Crowley is like, oh my boo is back, I need to I need to show off that I am the right choice and I can protect everybody and get shit done just for my baby. But did you notice that
1: when Crowley is not around, Israfel handles everything very competently by himself, but when Crowley is around, he has him take care of him. Even though I'm pretty sure he's more the competent one.
0: Well, I don't know if more competent one. But he is equally able to take care of himself. So
1: it's it's a very deliberate choice by him. Which... Aziraphale is the dad.
0: Crowley is the daddy. It is <laughs> just such a very obvious relationship dynamic. And I love it. Yep, yeah. But daddy Crowley does not
1: have to do anything because adam and the them show up we get on the base and a group of soldiers shows up and goes like
0: oh you should be here your kids like oh, no, 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 you're trespassing and before we end this episode with adam sending them to sleep pollution i believe is the one who says all the chickens are coming home to roost not pollution. I think it's pollution. Which went perfectly with my note that I have made just before this was said. Everyone is heading to the airbase and it's all coming together. But it was just phrased so much better. So I had to write that down as well.
1: I kind of found it more hilarious that pollution was talking about chickens coming home. And Agnes Cards were speaking about Eagle's Nest and shit like that. So it was like more poetic. <laughs> It's very
0: bird-like.
1: Yeah, but it's like the chicken's coming home, but chickens are not like, cliche-wise, very smart creatures. But eagles are very smart, so I <laughs> like that, like, the good
0: side. I mean, pollution technically isn't on anybody's side.
1: Pollution is on the side of, yay, Armageddon. So I'm gonna say bad side, just like the angels and the demons. The only people on the good side are now and the them. And and Nude and Crowley and the Zero Fell with uh, Shadwell and Madam Tracy. So everyone else is on the bad side. And Adam, as you said, puts the soldiers to sleep. And then he says, I'm here in the loud, carrying voice. And then death has to be dramatic once again, because it's definitely a dramatic death. Everything ends now. Time is over. And so
0: is this episode. Watching every single thread that was introduced to the story come together. What a beautiful symphony. Oh, wow.
1: Woman, who are you and what have you done with Vero?
0: Oh, this was just a choice of words that came to me as I was listening to the organs outro. I absolutely adored Crowley's journey throughout the episode. David Tennant is such a master. It is Incredible. We didn't get much of Michael Sheen, but Miranda Richardson, who plays Madame Tracy, is doing an impeccable job. I don't want this story to ever end, while I also can't wait to see the next episode. AKA, this is the feeling I get every time I watch or read something truly spectacular.
1: So, the them are back together, the ineffable husbands are kinda back together, and basically every single character we have ever met is getting together at the airbase. While I am still opposed to the whole predestined pairing of Newton and Ephemer, I am warming up to Newt, and even Shatfield is starting to grow on me. You know, like Malt, but hey, you take what you get. I still do not care about Adam at all. I love Adam, the but I really could not care less about him. And I kind of wonder if it's deliberate or if I am totally alone in not caring about Adam.
0: I mean, I'm not there with you.
1: So you you do care about Adam?
0: I enjoy him as a character. He's not my favorite by any means, but... Do you care about his feelings, his
1: thoughts, what is going to happen to him? Like, I care more that Pepper gets a happy ending than about Adam.
0: I mean, yes.
1: I care more about Shadwell getting a happy ending than Adam.
0: I don't really care about happy ending per yeah, okay. se, but for me... I just am very indifferent about him. I don't really... And that's that's what I mean. I don't care. I could
1: not care less about him. Yes, he's there. Yes, he's an integral part of the story. He's relevant. Blah, 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 blah. I could not care less about Adam. And I don't know if it's because of the actor, if it's because of the character. I don't remember if I cared nothing in the book about Adam. So I'm very curious about this. So I would be very interested if other people share this feeling with me. I fucking love on the other hand that Aziraphale is finally active it took him long enough but as I said before he seems to have run out of fucks to give and as we have stated before and stated in this episode the love Crowley has for his angel is beautiful and breaking my heart in all the best and worst ways so I absolutely love that one more episode to go for the end of the world And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us as the Apple of Truth on Twitter and Instagram.
0: We will keep you updated if and when... Twitter crashes and burns. You can also send
1: us your comments and complaints to goodomens at taot-podcast.com
0: If you want to get that sweet, sweet extra content early episode release and more
1: like six seasons of another show more
0: head to patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you like
1: what you hear please do write us a positive iTunes review.
0: They help a ridiculous amount.
1: And don't forget to pester All your friends about us. Thank Thank you! you. Bye. Bye!